0: Well, as always, uh, Brandon picked songs that were um, very in line with the lesson. Um, that last song, "What a Friend We Have in Jesus," uh, is probably one of my favorite favorite hymns to sing, and just really goes perfectly with the nature of our our lesson this morning. Um, we're going to be focusing on um, Ephesians six eighteen through twenty, um, which focuses on prayer, and this is at the end of. Um, a series of lessons we've been looking at through the entire year that have been centered on learning to walk in wisdom with God. Um, I hope that this has been a very challenging, very encouraging, um, very faith-building series of lessons to consider. Um, I feel like really what main thing this has accomplished is really helping me understand how much I lack wisdom, how much I need wisdom, how many areas of my life can be affected in more positive ways by seeking wisdom from God, and just how much wisdom applies to every subtlety of our relationship with God and just how far the wisdom of God can go, and how important it is to seek wisdom with things God says. Obviously, God's instructions, they aren't applied like turning on a light. We don't just flip a switch and become perfectly obedient to all the will of God. Um, it's something we truly have to care for and value and invest in. Um, And so we're going to conclude this series of lessons um, looking at how wisdom prays with purpose at the end of Ephesians uh, chapter 6, 10 through 18, before Paul gives his final kind of conclusive farewells at the end of the letter. Um, So I want to read again the scripture reading that we had that Paul read for us, uh, verses 10 through 20. Um, I think verses 18 through 20 are very directly connected to the armor of God and really are what binds it all together. Um, so let's let's read this again, Ephesians six, ten through twenty. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Um, I've been really looking forward to um, this lesson, particularly this year, and Glenn's classes on prayer. If you were to really examine my life and really kind of set the habits of my life side by side with the exhortation here and other exhortations on prayer, you would find pretty quickly that um, my prayer life is deeply lacking and my commitment to prayer and my value that I place on prayer is lacking. So this is definitely a me-first lesson, um, and you might be with me where prayer just tends to be something that when you really think about it and its value and what you see said about it in the word, uh, maybe it's something that just really convicts you and you realize that there's so much more to understand and and to do here. Um, One more thing by introduction uh, before we move on into um, verse 18 through 20. We talked about last month how Ephesians is really a letter that is outlining all of these great gifts that God has given us through Jesus. Um, The letter even starts that way in verse 3, when Paul starts the letter by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so Ephesians, from the very beginning, really begins outlining and detailing all of these unfathomable spiritual blessings we've been given in christ and at the end of the letter he kind of after dealing with a lot of difficult applications really returns back to focusing on gifts that help us fortify our willingness to act even when it's difficult to apply things even when it hurts or requires sacrifice or perseverance god has given us his armor and if we wear his armor we can stand firm in this spiritual battle. But really what may be the greatest gift of all is the gift of God's presence in our lives. And with the gift of his presence, with the gift of our relationship, comes the gift of prayer. And so learning to value the armor he's given us and learning to value the gift of prayer is very critical. And I think this armor, you could think about it as we put it on through prayer. And that this is an armor that's consecrated by prayer, right? Um, So let's start thinking about these concepts. So one thing we've been talking about in our Bible classes that Glenn has been leading is God encourages us continuously, not just to pray sometimes, not just to be devoted to prayer or form prayerful habits, but really to pray at all times and to pray without ceasing. And so you notice that in verse 18, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times um, in the Spirit. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of form this lesson looking at first the idea of praying at all times and this idea with, with all prayer and petition. We'll be talking about that. We'll spend the second part of the lesson really trying to understand that phrase, pray at all times in the Spirit. I think that can kind of seem very ambiguous. And then we'll finish the lesson looking at what he says about praying for others, praying for all the saints, and the prayer requests that he makes actually specifically about himself. But like I mentioned earlier, um, learning to value and utilize prayer may be the most important discipline to learn in developing our faith. You know, it's something that Jesus continuously worked on with his disciples. We see with Jesus that he had a discipline and devotion to prayer That can be really hard even to understand how he devoted as much time as he did to prayer. There's times where it says he would spend all night in prayer. He would go up on a mountain and spend time in isolation in prayer and very deliberately send everybody else away so he could get that very valuable time. In Mark's gospel, in the very first chapter, it begins Jesus' ministry as explaining that he would very often depart from the crowds to go off and be alone and pray. And so prayer was a very critical part of Jesus' life and something very critical that he strove to develop with his disciples. And God's way of encouraging prayer, I was thinking about a word to really emphasize how strong God's encouragement is. Um, And I think it's fair to say that God's encouragement is extreme. That he's willing to take incredible risks in encouraging prayer. Jesus would say things like, all things that you ask, believing, you will receive. And obviously, that's something that is very easily misunderstood and misapplied. But encouraging prayer was so critical and so important, Jesus was willing to say things that we can very easily, and things that are very widely misapplied and misunderstood. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, ask, and you will receive, seek, and you will find. so again, the way that Jesus would encourage prayer was risky and it was extreme because prayer is such a critical thing to value and understand in our relationship with God. And you notice in Ephesians 6 verse 18, Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. And I think the idea is we need to strive to utilize every facet or every angle of prayer. So this would be things like prayers of thankfulness, praise, interceding for others, petitioning God, making supplications and requests. And something I wanted to insert here that um, I hope makes sense is just that we need balance in how we think about prayer and um, how we talk about prayer. I think there's a lot of ways that we discourage the power of prayer, um, things we need to be really careful of, like um I've heard uh, growing up quite a bit, and a lot of you have maybe heard this, and maybe you've said it and taught it, but I've heard it said a lot, prayer's not really for you, prayer's more, or rather, prayer's not really for God, prayer's more just for you, right? God's going to do what he's going to do, and so prayer is more just for you, ultimately. And I have found that actually extremely discouraging. I have not found that to be encouraging even slightly. It's actually discouraged me multiple times. And I just want you to think, did Jesus ever talk that way about prayer? Did he ever say, by the way, when you pray, it's not like it does anything. It's not like God actually cares or is going to change anything based on your prayers." So really, this is more just for your sake. Jesus never talked that way about prayer. He said the opposite, that prayer, no matter what we may understand, no matter how hard it can be to grasp, God acts in direct response to the prayers of his people. And Jesus was constantly emphasizing that. Another thing that I think we have to be careful of, and I think this, this may be subtle, but I think it's important to think about. To encourage thankfulness and praise, sometimes I've heard supplication discouraged, right? Like, you know, well, you know, how would you like it if every time someone came to you they asked for something? Well, obviously, like, that'd be pretty annoying, right? Um, but I want you to think again how Jesus talked about prayer. Did you know that Jesus... More often than encouraging thankfulness, Jesus encouraged supplication unreservedly. Again, he would say, ask, and it will be given to you. Ask in my name or all things that you ask believing, and it will be done for you. To encourage thankfulness, Jesus never discouraged supplication, right? So we do need to have balance. We do need to utilize thankfulness, and we do need to utilize praise. But I don't think to do that, we need to discourage supplication, right? we always see supplication heavily encouraged both by Jesus and the apostles, and I think that's what we see here. So again, we just need we need balance, and we need to see the purpose of all of these different aspects of prayer and how important that is. So he says that we need to be on the alert, and I know this is slightly after he says, um, he says like, pray at all times in the spirit. We'll come back to that. But I think with all prayer and petition really relates to this idea of being on alert. Um, There's a brother in Minnesota named Nate. And um, Nate, some time ago, had done a tour in Iraq in the military. And I've heard Nate talk about, actually in relation to this text here and this instruction, the importance of being on the alert in warfare. And Nate and his experience, what he said is being on the alert when you're in like active warfare and when you are in a conflict of battle, being on the alert is actually the most important thing. And he mentioned when he first um, went overseas and went to Iraq, he really didn't understand that and he didn't know how to be on alert. So what he would do is he would closely observe people who had much more experience because he knew that his life was literally on the line. And depended on him being able to spot things, see things. And so he would carefully watch people with more experience who he knew understood how to be on the alert. But he also would follow them and watch their behavior. And you try to train with them and learn from them, right? And I think you can maybe see just from that, the application of that, that Jesus and the apostles obviously understood the importance of being on the alert. And just like we talked about last month, we're in a spiritual struggle that outside of salvation, people in the world are not participating in this at all. This is something that we struggle with and struggle to embrace and understand. And so we really need to be understanding how critical is, critical it is, that we learn from those in Scripture especially, but also from those around us that we perceive are very mature spiritually and get this concept. So another thing about Nate and what he mentioned about his tour in Iraq the warfare there was more dealing with an insurgency and i know that might seem like a i don't know a word that might not make sense but an insurgency is basically you're dealing with more civilians who are armed and who are trying to use tactics for war that are more subtle like being in disguise hiding the weapons planting bombs on roads and what he did was he related that to satan that Satan obviously is seeking to take us off guard, right? Satan's not trying to scheme against us by doing the most obvious thing that we could very easily spot and anticipate, but Satan is trying to use subtle methods and find a way to take us off guard in our faith and find us when we are not on the alert. And so again, that kind of enhances, I think, the importance of being on the alert. One thing Nate mentioned as well, is he mentioned that if you have weaponry and if you are armed, it actually is useless if you're not on the alert because you don't know when to use your weapon. You don't know when to be on the defense. You don't understand when you're even under attack or when you're about to be under attack. So his point was in relating it to the armor of God that we're given a sword and a shield particularly. But if you're not in the practice and if you have not disciplined your faith to be on the alert, then really you're not even going to know when you need to raise your shield or when you need to raise your sword to do battle, right? So again, we need to be on the alert, not just thinking about, well, I need to be generally maybe anticipating heaven or the Lord's coming. But this is in relation to our struggle against Satan and his schemes and having a proper sense of mind to be on on the defense. And lastly here, just kind of generally thinking about prayer, I think this gives a very important context for really watching over our hearts, like really what Glenn was bringing out this morning. Um, In our Bible class, we were talking about preparing for prayer and having a heart that is prepared for prayer. And that's really the idea here, is we need to be very careful to just be kind of aware of things that might be hindering our alertness and kind of not giving us the frame of mind or spiritual alertness to be able to pray to God in a way that's appropriate, or to be aware of our spiritual conflicts. So there may be times where we realize that we really just have to filter out clutter that is taking up too much room in our hearts that we can have the capacity to devote more of ourselves to meaningful prayer. Um, before we move on, just a quick illustration with that that I hope makes sense. So in marriage, obviously, communication is very important. And so think about if somebody, when they communicate with their spouse, is only talking about the things that interest them, or their conversation is always very shallow, right? So maybe one person really wants to have deeper, more meaningful, heartfelt conversation, and the other person's like sports, TV, you know, what happened at work today, right? That's going to end up kind of wearing on the person who is wanting to have more meaningful conversation, and really what needs to change there? It's what the person is filling their heart with. They're going to need to maybe make some more room in their heart for the interests of the other person. And, well, what does this other person care about? And maybe need to change the things that I'm letting fester within me so that we can engage in more meaningful conversation. It's the same with God. In order to really communicate with God in the right way, our hearts need to be in the right place. Again, like Glenn was bringing out in the class. So let's talk about this idea of praying in the Spirit in verse 18. There's obviously a lot of ways I think this could be uh, misunderstood. Um, you know, we could think about this maybe in some kind of transient way or, you know, maybe this is like when people think that, you know, they speak in tongues or something like that or you kind of have an out-of-body experience. And I just want to suggest to you right away that I don't think that's at all what this is advocating or talking about. And I think Ephesians really gives us a very clear anchoring context for what to get out of this. And I think looking within Ephesians really helps here. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, you know, I think it helps to make a contrast maybe initially. Um, What is this not talking about? I think Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 really gives us an idea of what this is not at all. So we can begin looking more in the positive application of it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So these are the things that I think, for one, ultimately do not concern the spirit of God. But for two, in many cases, actually work very directly against the spirit of God. Um, so you see the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience and the things lumped within that in verse 2, walking according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and I think that would be like the devil, um, working in the sons of disobedience, the lust of our flesh. When We're thinking about praying in the spirit, I think fundamentally what we're not talking about is things that relate just to the course of this world. It can be really easy in prayer to only really talk to God about the things that only seem most immediately important to me, or the things that seem to be pressuring me right now, or things like my job. God, help me with my job. Help me to get a better job. Help me to have a better income. God, help me with my car. Help me to get a better car. God, help me with my health. Help me to get better health, right? I do think we should talk to God about everything, right? And there's a way that that can all still fit in some way. But I do think we've got to be very careful that what we're bringing to God are not just the things that from our perspective, God should be serving us in the course of this world and of the present life. Ultimately, that is not what it means to pray in the spirit. So We're not talking about things that are of the spirit of the world, just the nature of the present, things that are simply circumstantial. In our prayers, we shouldn't just be jumping from one immediate thing to the next immediate, present, transient thing, but ultimately we are striving to have a higher perspective, spiritual perspective in our prayers. Go back to chapter 1, and you may not think to go here, Um, for what it means to pray in the Spirit, but I think there are some really critical implications here that really help us understand how to pray at all times in the Spirit. Look at verse 13 and 14. So this is talking about really the work that God accomplished when someone was saved, when they believed and repented and were baptized for the remission of their sins, all culminating in saving faith in verse 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And again, I want, I want to say this in strong terms, especially in contrast to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The sole priority. The central focus of the Spirit is fulfilling this work, and you'll notice that in verse 14, that in salvation, you know, just remember what Peter said in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, being baptized for the mission of sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, in verse 14, the Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance, which, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. So that's not dealing with our job, our finances, our health. Whatever it takes to fulfill God's mission of salvation and things that are centered on completing that work, that is the focus of the Spirit, is completing the work of salvation, especially as it is connected with truth. It's also about seeing the glory, the power, and the work of God in direct connection with our faith. The first three chapters of Ephesians, like I've mentioned in this series a few times now, the first three chapters of Ephesians is really pulling back the curtain and really helping us look beyond the veil to see all of these amazing things that God accomplished and gave and continues to do simply by our willingness to die to ourselves and just let God work freely in our lives. And we're drawn in our will to see that God's will is superior Even if it hurts, and even if it's painful and can be very trying, it's better because that's where the glory and the power of God's work is when we place our faith in him and let God work. And that is the focus of the Spirit of God. It's opening our eyes to see those things. But it's also to unify our will with the message of truth. Did you catch that in verse 13? This isn't some like ambiguous, transient thing that can't be understood Paul is anchoring this very specifically in verse 13. When you listened to the message of truth. The goal of the Spirit, his focus, what it means to pray in the Spirit, we need to be striving to unify our will with the message of truth. Think about that with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was praying in the Spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and praying very fervently with tears like sweat drops as if it were blood and he prayed abba father if it be your will let this cup pass from me yet not i will but as you will i've got a quote here just in terms of reference from john 12 related to this um well in my notes it's a little further along i'll I'll hold off on john 12 um it's to seek God's glory as the greatest outcome. And this was, this was where John 12 was to come in. So in relation again to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in John 12, and 28, Jesus said, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Look at the end of verse 14. What's ultimately the point to the praise of his glory? Now, what that may mean sometimes is for God to be glorified, like in John 12, Jesus was going to have to be uncomfortable. Jesus was going to need to see the glory of God's praise on the other end of the cross. Jesus was going to need to sacrifice and lay his life down. I want you to look at chapter 3, and I think you see this in Paul as well, in chapter 3, verse 13, So Paul's in prison as he's writing this and he's in prison because of just boldly preaching, teaching, following the will of God and proclaiming Christ. And after he said all of these grand things about this incredible work that God has accomplished in the new covenant and salvation and where we are and what we have and what we've been given, the grand conclusion, verse 13, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. they are your glory. How did Paul get a perspective like that? That perspective is rooted in spirit-based prayer. And so Paul was willing to lose comfort for the will of God. He was willing to suffer for the will of God. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? It means that I'm willing to seek God's glory and to see the beauty of what he desires, even if I have to, in the process, sacrifice what I desire and with pain with sacrifice and with perseverance need to strive with God to seek that and to seek his help in that look at chapter 2 verses 11 through 12 one thing you see in Ephesians is the importance of how the spirit has worked and works to unify God's people both together with one another but also together with the Father more than anything. Look at chapter 2. And I'm going to read a little bit of a larger body of text here. Chapter 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you are at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross and by it, having put to death the enmity." And he came and preached peace to those or to you who were, who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So you notice on the board there, um, just the exhortation, that the work of the Spirit and what it means to pray in the Spirit is really through prayer, seeking to build our spiritually centered fellowship and our unity together and with the Father. Um, Just kind of to note chapter four verse three where it's talking about walking worthy of the calling with all humility patience tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace you know what is an evidence that somebody is praying in the way that paul instructs in ephesians they are diligently building spiritually centered fellowship and unity with god's people that's what it looks like So let's think about one of the main exhortations that he gives, if you'll turn back to chapter 6. Um, so with prayer, there's obviously a great deal of personal things to be praying for. But really, where Paul is directing prayer here is for others. So you'll notice that at the end of verse 18, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So a great urgent need in prayer is to pray with perseverance for the needs, I think, especially in this context, the spiritual needs for other slash all the saints. Now, I want you to think about how much this can consume our attention, right? What if you started by just thinking, you know what, for one other person here, I'm just going to start, you know, even if I don't tell them, I'm just going to start devoting prayer specifically for this one other person then maybe after a while you think, okay, let me add a couple people into that. Maybe now for three people, I'm just trying to continuously pray for them and just think about how I can be raising things to God so that he can help them in their faith. And maybe start praying for more and more people. Well, all the saints is pretty broad. How about Christians in other places? How about Christians even overseas, right? So there's really no ceiling to how far we can take this. It's just a matter of where we choose to put our will. And I think it's important to understand that Satan focuses his schemes against God's people. And if we really understand this, really this should change and develop the nature of our fellowship. That we have a common enemy, we have a common struggle. And at all times, it is a very safe assumption based on what we've studied in Ephesians 6 that we are all going through some kind of struggle at every point. It might be struggles with time, struggles with energy, temptation that we seem to be confronted with continuously maybe there's sin in my life that I'm hiding that I really need to start opening up about Uh, maybe it's emotional trials maybe it's trials of physical health or grief or just so many arrays of things right the more we get to know one another if we're truly developing relationships the way that God would have it inevitably we will be learning of things that we need to be praying for, for one another, right? And so the goal is that in being on the alert, it's not just that I'm trying to be aware for my own sake, but it's an alertness that at all times, Satan is working against God's people and trying to overthrow them, discourage them, demotivate our fellowship with each other, dishearten us, or just distract us, right? And so we need to be realizing how much we need to be praying for each other so that God answer those prayers. I think this is what you see in verse 19 through 20. What was Paul praying for, right? Was he saying, "So guys, please pray that God open a door that I get out of prison <laughs> because this is really hindering what I can do as an apostle." And so please pray that as fast as possible I'm delivered and I'm able to be out of this situation. I think that Paul is probably in prison because he's been pretty bold already, right? And yet here he is in prison saying, guys, please pray for me that I can just continue to be as bold as possible and make known the mystery of the gospel. And that's not going to make his life any easier in prison. It's not going to be a matter of convenience. It's not going to return any comfort back to Paul. Paul has ambitious spiritual goals and he recognizes he needs help. By the way, would he ask for prayers if it ultimately didn't really matter, right? So again, I think we have to be careful with like limiting prayer by our own understanding. You know, you constantly see Paul asking for prayers, saying to the churches what he was praying for. You see Jesus even asking for prayer, encouraging prayer, and so somehow, some way, God hears these prayers that we pray for people, and God, in a very real sense, does something to respond, and that matters. And that's how Paul saw it. So, not just about Paul. We need to have lofty spiritual ambitions. You know, Paul had something very focused, that was something very challenging for him, that was bringing him to his knees, and helping him understand not only did he need God's help, But this was going to be so difficult, mustering the boldness and the will, he also needed other brethren to intercede and ask as well, right? Do you think it would change our relationships? If we had ambitious spiritual goals that were based in God's word, based in things that we see God wants us to grow in or mature in, and we talked to each other about those things, we asked each other about those things. And so I think what we see is if, if we are following paul's example here and we are trying to challenge ourselves to grow and to mature to be more obedient and more willing what that's going to do is it's going to humble us and it's really going to help us see the need to pray in these ways in spirit-filled spiritually centered ways and this draws us not only to depend on god more personally but helps us to depend on the prayers of one another more And again, I think as Paul exemplifies so often in the epistles, we really need to strive to communicate these things with one another. I remember it really changed my life and my faith significantly. I was living in Alabama. It just kind of struck me. You know, Paul is constantly praying for these things for the churches, and then he communicates that to them, and I don't think he's trying to impress them. You know, he's not trying to write to them that he's praying all these things that are like, wow, Paul, busy guy, really spiritual. You know, that he's trying to encourage them and he's trying to build relationships that are based in mutual spiritual growth, right? And trying to show how how concerned he is, not for matters of the flesh, but for matters of faith, right? And how this changed my faith and, and really helped me is realizing, you know, I can do that too. You know, I can ask brethren, hey, what can I be praying for for you right now? Or I can even just take the initiative and say, hey, could you please pray for me in this? I'm either... Struggling with this, or I recognize I really need to grow in this, could you please pray for me in that, right? Do you think our relationships could mature and grow if that's the kind of things that we did with each other more often? So, finally, if we develop these things, we will mature greatly, right? I'm not like a type A, you know, super planned out leader type of person, and, you know, maybe. God can help that over time. You know, so, like for instance, this church, you know the ambition that you know we ought to have is working towards an eldership and deacons who are faithful and are qualified and want to do that work. How do we get there? how does that How does that happen? You know, sure, we can put together a clear like ABCD plan in five years, we want to be here, have that as a landmark, ten ten years, we want to be here, have that as a landmark. All of that is very useful, and we need things like that. But I think fundamentally, this is the key right here. How does a church get to a point where you have extremely mature-minded, godly people who want to serve their brethren, who are willing to sacrifice and suffer great pains to serve their brethren, who are wise about godly decisions and in helping other people make godly decisions, who are concerned about spiritual growth and are willing to have very difficult conversations to encourage that growth? How does that happen? It happens behind the scenes in praying in this way. You know what's interesting? If you read through the Bible, did you know that you can trace nearly every significant event to someone's prayer? Did you know, for instance, David? Did you know that before David was appointed king, there were people that were praying about that? Did you know that before Jesus died, there were people in Jerusalem praying for the redemption of Israel? You know, again and again, we've studied recently when they returned back from Jerusalem, there were people praying about that in Babylon. God responds to prayer. And if we truly pray in spiritually centered ways, God can do great things, unthinkable unfathomable things just as he promises if we'll simply invest our hearts in the place where he directs us let's read verses 10 through 20 and after that if there's any need that um, needs to be brought before this church if it's someone that desires to put on christ in baptism and be a part of his kingdom today or if there's sin that needs to be brought forward so that we can pray for that and encourage you in that or just anything that we can encourage in your growth and your relationship with god Um, if you'd bring those things forward when we sing first we'll read verses 10 through 20 again finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of god so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak.